Hi there, everybody. Garen and Jordan back with the third identity series message follow-up. And once again, some really good things that we want to dive into with you guys. Um, but Garen, did you want to give kind of a disclaimer before this one? About yeah, something? definitely. We had a, I, I found out early this morning, we had a water main break outside our house on the street. And there was, there were dudes out there jackhammering from like 2 a.m. to 4.30 a.m. So I didn't sleep well last night. So this is the disclaimer. If he says anything <laughs> yes. that is not biblically accurate or off, you know, is off the wall, you know, it's not the real Garen. It's just yeah, tired Garen today. It's tired so. Garen today. So. You never know what tired yep. Garen's going to say. You should be like in the Snickers commercial, dude, except you're not you when you're sleepy. <laughs> there not, you go. Yes. You're not you when you're hungry. That would be good. That'd be awesome. Okay. Hey, so the first thing you opened up with yesterday that was so key, and I really hope people were, were tuned in right from the beginning because you said it right away and it was really good. It was just about how we have a unique ID, which are things about us that are unique to us, but we also have a foundational ID, which is really um, at the core of who we are and is what God says about us. Yes, right. And you mentioned the order in which we build on those things in our lives is really key and that culture has it switched around. And that's why we see, um, that's why we see culture getting it wrong because they've ordered those incorrectly or they're leaving one out entirely. So could you expound on that? Because I thought yeah. that was really useful. And for why us. there's so much angst, I think, in people and like a sense, I don't know who I am. Because if you build it on your unique identity, that's just, I'm going to talk about this week six, but that's just changing all the time. I just read about an Olympic athlete who's 18 who talked about how malleable her identity is and she's this today and this tomorrow. And you can't build a sustaining ident identity that's stable on that. It's got to be deeper and that's why this foundational identity, this sense of myself, you know, who am I? That I'm a new creation in Christ and am I loved and accepted that he's my, I'm the beloved child of God and whom he delights to me. You got to have that at the base and then you're unique. The unique things about you, you can know and live into that better when, you, when you're living on the, that stable reality. You can really come to know who you are and not have to base your life on those unique things about hmm. you. So when you say that we have a malleable identity, are you talking about people who like maybe were Chiefs fans two weeks ago, but now they <laughs> lost, so like they're not anymore? Yeah, all is of that... a sudden they're pulling for the Rams is kind of what I some, hear. You know, a lot of some them are... Chiefs fans have wised up and they've come to the Rams <laughs> side. And we, you know, the bandwagon is big enough for all of us. That's we all right. fit on the Rams bandwagon. So come on. Yeah, that's so true though. Your, your unique ID is malleable. It's shifting because if it's about... If it's about my ability to play basketball, yeah, and then I get in a car wreck and can't use my legs, yeah. well, who am I? Right. Or anything. I mean, there's a thousand examples. Yeah. So it's got to be rooted in something deeper than what can change yep. on right. a day-to-day -day basis. Definitely. That's so good. Um, and then right after that, you had a couple really good spots yesterday, Garen. You also gave this illustration about price tags. And you can add to this or correct me, but you, you kind of said how... First of all, we we price ourselves too low. We yeah. we value ourselves too low. We put the fifty cent sticker on ourselves and say, "Well, I'm not any good" or whatever, whatever. And then you we also allow others to put the price tag on us, whether it's high or low. Yeah. Oh, you're good looking, or you're talented, or yeah. you're powerful. So, ching, hundred bucks. Yeah. Or hey, you jack that up, or you're not perfect. Right. Two bucks. Yep. And and how we shouldn't let others price us or value us or even allow ourselves to value ourselves, right? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, definitely. Because I think it happens all the time. I think every day people are with looks or things they say or comments, we're getting either affirmation, hey, you did it right, or you're valuable, or you're invaluable. And man, those things are all over us. And if you focus on that too much, you'll it'll mess with your mind. And you get to where you really undervalue who you are. 
and the and the things our culture values right now are so messed up. And so then we're trying to live for value in things that are really unimportant, right? That are the opposite of what God says is important. It, we live in a really tough time to to really have a good sense of our value if we're looking at culture and mm-hmm. looking in the mirror. That's what I feel like. If that price tag analogy stuck with anybody and you were like, man, I do value myself too low or I do allow others to put value on me and that really hits you, wouldn't you say Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness by Keller would be a good read? Oh, definitely. Because he talks about, is it in Second Corinthians where Paul says, I don't care what you say about me. I don't even care what I say about me. I care what God says about me. And then he talks about the ultimate verdict in that book and how we don't have to go into the courtroom every day and prove our worth because Jesus did it once. Yep. And it's so it's ultimate to us. Man, after reading that, I read it once a year. I wrote it with my leaders a few months ago and they were blown away by it. And that's a life changer, man. Yeah, that's and, a really good book. And it's like 50 pages and they're they're like, you'll read it in an hour. It's a good, yeah, it's a good read. So that, if that hits you, ask one of us for that book and we'll give it to you for free because it's it's a good one. Garen, you kind of moved on. You talked about three things. You said we are accepted, we're loved, and we're liked. And then I appreciated, and some people I was sitting with commented too on how much they appreciated that you just rooted that in scripture. And it wasn't just your opinion. Like right. this is really the reality that God tells us in the Bible. Yeah. That at Romans 15, 7, he tells us that we've been accepted. Um, that in Ephesians 5, 1, that we are loved. You know, we are called the the beloved, just like the beloved, is. which is the ag- agapatos. Uh-huh. We are his agapatos, yeah. that he, we are the object of his affection and he loves us. Yep. And then in Isaiah 62, 4, among others, just that we are delighted in, that yeah. he actually likes who we are. Yes. And it's not this cosmic obligation that oh, I made this thing, so I have to love it, <laughs> right? Right. right. We actually are liked by God too. Yeah. Do you think those are hard for us to accept? Yeah. Um, or is one tougher than the others to to accept? I kind of did in the order that I feel like, I think a lot of people are like, well, okay, and Jesus, he accepts me. He puts his ro- clean robes on me. All right, I'm legally accepted but I'm not sure I'm really loved. I think a lot of people struggle with that. And then even if you like, okay, he loves me, it's almost like you said, well, he made me. He kind of has to love me. And I, I've just talked to people over years who are like, I've just heard that phrase, well, I sure he loves me, but I just don't know. I'm not convinced he likes me. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. So that one to me was actually the one I wanted. I wanted to hit all of them, but that one to me is the most important. And that's why I kind of hung on that delight idea for a little bit, defined it. And, you know, you're a dad. You know what it's like to delight in your kids. It's you, you know, I just love going home and being with my kids in the evening. I love hanging out with Nellie. I love my kids now. You know, had lunch with her last week. I don't just love them. I like them. I like being around them. So, yeah, and that's how God feels about us. Yeah, and it's funny to think, you know, the way that we look at our kids and delight in them and just are like, man, everything about them is so great. We can't get enough of them. And then to imagine how magnified that is when God looks yes. at us. It is yeah. seriously hard to believe. Yeah. Why is that so hard? Why is it so hard for us to accept the fact that God likes us? Because that's tough. I think we see our darkness. I think we know what's in our heart and we're like, it's that thing like that we, we, we long to be loved, but we are afraid of being known because we think if we're really known, we're not going to be loved or liked. And we're like, there's one person in the universe who fully knows me and it's God and he can't like me because I know what's in here. I don't even like what's in here. And mm. so that's why I think we struggle with the like is because we really know what's in our heart. And and we we really have our time understanding somebody who can still delight in us, even knowing that. Maybe you're onto something there. You said, you know, if I don't like me, how could God like me? Because yeah. I don't like all the stuff that's going on inside right. here. Man, 
So, so again, who's going to put the price tag on me? So if again, I don't like me, right. I'm putting a low price on me. But if I get that from him, yeah, then I can accept his price tag. So the answer isn't this like self-help, good vibes, like like yourself, value yourself. No. It's really going back to scripture. What is it? Second Corinthians where Paul says that? I can't remember. It actually doesn't even matter if you like yourself. Like that's not the key issue here. The key issue is that God says he does and you need to put your trust in that. Yeah. And not to say that it's okay to hate yourself or devalue yourself because that's not the truth either, but your value does not hinge on your own thoughts on yourself. Yes, right. And that is such a foreign idea in culture. Yeah, it is. Such and that's why we've got, idea. that's why we've really got to shift to my identity is coming. I'm living from an identity instead of for, because yeah. I'll mess up every time I'm living for an identity. Hmm. It'll never be a stable identity. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. Um, you kind of went on and, and you said towards the end that this is all really good news because it means that we can put the striving to bed. So it's not like you're telling us these things and it's like, oh, I get to write it down and just remember it. And it'll be, you know, it's good to remember these things. It's like, no, this is pointing you towards something. Yeah. It's all in service of eliminating the striving from yes, your life to be right. good enough. Yep. Um, and I know that you and I don't ever, you know, strive for things Never. in an unhealthy way. Uh, no. So we can't really relate to that. But imagine for yourself that you are a sinful person and you, <laughs> no, we, we feel this all the time. We were just talking before we even started about how we feel this. Um, what are some of those strivings, Garen, that you could share that, you know, when you're not in a healthy place with this, man, things I strive for, I feel like I kind of have to earn. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I know a lot of people struggle with a performance spirituality who they really feel like I've got to earn his love and his likes. And so if I'm not good enough or if I fail today, like I don't even want to pray because I don't, I can't face him and he's not going to be happy. Like, I hear that a lot. I don't struggle with a performance spirituality so much because, you know, I didn't grow up in church and the church I became a believer through had a very strong performance spirituality that just felt like Phariseeism to me and total opposite of Jesus. So I never, that has never bothered me much. How I tend to struggle with it is I'll allow other people's opinions. I'll allow somebody's price tag they put on me to be bigger in my mind than the price tag God puts on me. That's how I really struggle. I'll mm. struggle with it um, more in that way. That whole thing of, am I living for the approval of people or from the approval of God? That's how I struggle with it. A lot of times I'll allow people's price tags to, especially if you get like five in a row, you know, people like clearly mm. are putting low price tags, man, that can start ruling in my heart. And then I forget and I become an orphan. Then I'm living like an orphan. I'm not really trusting that my father's value matters the most. Yeah. And I'm saying basically, I'm, I'm going to live like I'm not your child. Yeah. These people are more important. Their opinion is more important, which is really sad. Can you imagine how broken his heart is when we do that? Right. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's really true. You ended with some good questions. You asked us, where is my core identity rooted? You asked us, am I living for the approval of people or for the approval of God? You asked us, um, am I living to be accepted or am I living from acceptance? And so rather than going into all those questions, um, I don't know. Why did you why did you ask us those? Are those things that everybody struggles with? Are those things that yeah. you struggle with? Are those like <laughs> yes. just common human things whenever we're seeking common, after God? And what I struggle with, and like I tell people all the time, if I'm preaching something, it's because I need it. I need this all the time. I have got to daily remind myself of who I am. It's so easy to be drawn away and to live for the approval of others instead of from the approval of God. And yeah. To not live as his beloved 
son, one in whom he delights. It's just so easy to listen to the loud voices and to forget the truest voice. And so this is all, I just think it's it's human. It's part of our fallenness. And I'm just trying to call, to me, this is this whole topic is so important. I'm just trying to call all of us. And I'm, I like what you said. That's why I like Swindoll. It's know who you are, but don't just, not just that, accept who you are and then be who you are, like live out of it. it this is not just meant to be a take notes and have cool things to think about. Mm-hmm. The, I'm really mm-hmm. wanting us, all of us to, to live from an achieved identity. It's, I mean, received instead of achieved. Yeah. Because it's, I think it's a human problem. So mm. I want to ask a hard question before we go. I'm just thinking to myself, Garen, what's the difference between, and when I, when I ask this, I really don't know the answer. I'm not just messing around. Um, what's the difference between like trying to live for the acceptance of God and being obedient to him? Cause like, obviously there's things in my daily life that my flesh wants me to do that I don't do out of obedience to God. So how do I know, okay, I'm, I'm avoiding telling this lie. I'm putting others first. I'm doing these things. How do I know if I'm just being obedient to God, like he commands me to do, or am I doing those things so that I will be accepted by him? Like in my spirit, how do I know which of those things I'm feeling? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I'm glad you asked it to me. Another way even to put it is if I have a desire to please God, does that mean I'm living a performance spirituality? And I would say, I would say, no, I think there's, you can live to please somebody two different ways. And I can give you a very personal example. So in our household growing up, my mom was the very strict one, um, very rigid, rigid rules based. It was all compliance to rules. And me and my brothers always around her, we just wanted to do whatever it was that got her to chill out or to calm down. And so we were living to please her like in a, it was very performance oriented. It was like, if we perform right today, she'll be in a better mood and things will be better. And so that was a perform, that was kind of like an equivalent of performance spirituality. But my dad was, he's just like a teddy bear. I loved him. I love both of my parents, but he was like, just, we were so close and he just treated us with so much love and respect, played ball all the time with me. And I also wanted to please him, but it had nothing to do with performance. It's just, I enjoyed his him and respected him so much. I mean, I respected my mom, but I just, it was a different relational thing that was going on. And I had so valued him and my relationship that my pleasing of him had nothing to do with performance. It had nothing to do with, oh, if I do this, my dad will like me more. It had nothing to do with that. I just so enjoyed him. I just wanted to see a smile on his face. And there's Mm -hmm. a very different, big difference. And some people are living for God and it's more like he's that angry parent and I've just got to please that parent to get him off my back or to measure up. And, um, but that's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is you know, a lot of what I feel like my dad, I think he modeled it well, even though he wasn't a believer, that he, his, his just love for me and his like of me and delight in me just oozed out of him. And my desire to please him was just purely out of the relationship. It had nothing to do with wanting to perform or earn anything from him. Hmm. I think you've hit on something really important here, and that's that so often our relationships with our parents, either consciously or subconsciously, form our view of God. And maybe that's yes. even something to to tell people to be on the lookout for just yes. to take stock of how you relate to each of your parents and then just take some time and think about is that how I'm relating to God if for the, for better or worse yep. um because so often that does form our view yeah. of him yeah, as my picture of God did it come from a parenting relationship and does that 
parenting relationship really affect the God of the Bible? Because if it doesn't, then I'll be living in bondage to a God that's not who he is. And so we've got to have a true narrative. That's why I was hitting this accepted love liked is to try to get that true narrative of what he's like. So cool. Anything else to finish with? Or no, I think that was really good, man. Yeah, I think so too. Thank you for sharing that, Garen. Those personal things are really important and illustrated it well. So appreciate you sharing that. Guys, that was identity number three. Garen, sneak peek of number four. Do you want to tease it? Yeah, we're going to... We're going to, uh, I'm going to break out a diagram and some statements, and I'm going to really talk about, try to give some practical advice on how do you better live into that foundational identity. Hmm. So I want to, this week's going to really try to dig into how do you, how do you keep yourself in the love of God, which is what Jude 21 says. How do I keep myself in that good spot to where I'm living from my identity instead of for it? So cool. Whoa, Garen Forsythe's going to have a diagram? Well, I don't know if I'm going to be ready for <laughs> I know, that. unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> Alert the Gazette. Have them come in because this is groundbreaking stuff. Garen, thanks for this series. Um, it's good to go through it. And guys, thanks for listening. We hope this was helpful for you.